everyone. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. This is a resource designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. I'm Ashlyn Phelps, the communications coordinator at High Point Church. Today, we're sharing the last talk from our staff at the No Regrets Men's Conference 2020. This conference was on February 1st, and it's an annual event designed to create an environment for men to be challenged in their relationship with the Lord at home, in the workplace, and in their ministry. In this episode, we're going to listen to a talk by Luke Zika, our Director of Youth Ministries. Because Luke mainly works with high school students, he's able to see firsthand the pressure that piles onto the lives of young men. In this talk, Luke shares the good news for young men living in a stress-filled world. If you want to continue to learn and be challenged by topics like these, save the date for High Point Church's Sexuality Everywhere Conference on October 9th and 10th, 2020. As always, if you've got a question about what you heard, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. Thanks for listening. So yeah, talking about pressure today, um, I think it's maybe the most common thing I work with high school students, middle high school students, and I think it's probably the most common issue that I deal with, but it's, it's a thing that I think guys aren't willing to admit very easily that they're feeling stress or they're feeling pressure or um, they're dealing with a lot of pressure and they're, they're not sure how to handle that. And um, just from what I have sort of learned about um, young guys today, whether 20-somethings or especially teenagers, um, just the, the pressure that is sort of mounting on young guys is, seems to only be getting stronger and stronger and higher and higher, and um, it is just kind of creating more and more issues for guys. So just to kick it off, and this can be interactive um, since there's not a ton of us, but um, where do guys experience pressure from, whether you're in your 20s or teens or well, however old you are, where, where do guys mostly experience pressure from or feel pressure Everywhere. Everywhere, okay. <laughs> yeah, pretty much all over the place. Other family or not, I should say friends. Okay, so from friends or other family, yeah. Other places. Like romantic relationships. Okay, yeah, romantic relationships, right? Pressure to do certain things or to be a certain way. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Any others? Just think of? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Career stuff, right? Yeah, pressure to get the best career or to have the most kind of flashy, money-making job. Yeah, um, there are all kinds of pressures all over the place, and um, on top of just kind of the general pressures, right now, being especially in the Gen Z generation, raise your hand if you're Gen Z, if you're born kind of late '90s or later. Okay, so you guys are kind of more millennial age, okay, so um, yeah, right now, and I think millennials and Gen Z, we can kind of uh, relate on a lot of this stuff, it just feels like the world is becoming less stable, Um, if you just look at like the last month we had, January, there's just so many crazy things that seem to be happening all the time, and it's all just kind of publicized for everyone on the internet, and so it it just feels like um, pressure is increasing, and the world is becoming more and more unstable, and and so... um, seems like guys are experiencing more and more pressure. And so the main issue that I've seen working with guys is that um, many guys feel like their faith is sort of being crushed in by all this pressure they are experiencing. Um, a lot of guys I talk to, they're, they're not really sure how to walk with Jesus. They're not really sure how he's involved in their daily life. Um, if you've ever been to like a retreat or like a conference or something like this, uh, you feel all energized and then you go back out into the world and it feels like you just get a big wet blanket slapped right over it. Like the spiritual energy you had just feels like it's gone all of a sudden. 
And so um, it seems like as I've talked to guys, um, the world is just sort of crushing their faith out of them. And uh, I want to talk to you guys today not in um, a condemning, like, you better figure this out or don't give in to the pressure so much kind of way, but more is just saying that I can really relate to this. Um, I can understand what it feels like to sort of have this kind of mounting pressure and how it makes just walking with Jesus feel really difficult. Um, the teenagers and the 20-somethings who I work with and talk to just say, I, I don't know how to find time for the Lord. Um, I, I will think about Jesus later. Right now i got to focus on my career. i got to get all this stuff in order for my life. If I, if I don't do the stuff that's sort of right in front of me, um, I'm never going to make it. I'm not going to make it in life. And so Jesus just kind of gets pushed off to the side and he just becomes someone that we will hopefully think of later. And, you know, I've done a lot of, like, college evangelism, and um, pretty much everyone you talk to, for the most part, will be like, yeah, I'll, I've been to church, and I'll, I'll do this more later. Like, right now, I'm kind of focusing on me, kind of trying to figure myself out, but I will look to Jesus and figure him out um, at a later point in life, maybe when I'm married or have kids or something like that. Um, but many guys feel like they're, they're sort of too busy for Jesus, so there's too much pressure that's sort of um, wringing their faith out, and there's just a frustration, like, how do, I, how do I bring God into my daily life? How do I walk with Jesus in a world that feels so busy and um, preoccupied with things that God doesn't seem preoccupied with, and the world is so hectic I can hardly keep up? How do I put God into it? And I think what I sort of subtly felt in, um, especially like late high school and early college, it seemed like... Saying yes to Jesus was just saying yes to another guy who was going to be kind of disappointed with me, or another guy who was going to have a list of expectations for me to follow, or another to-do list that was going to be handed. So I didn't feel like I could take on another thing. I didn't feel like I could handle another responsibility. And so I sort of just kept Jesus at arm's length. And so today I want to talk about stuff that, the thing that, that really sort of um, kind of turned the light bulb on for me with Jesus, like it, it never quite felt like it was working for me. Um, in high school and early college, I was like, I don't really know what I'm missing. I see people who seem like they, they just love Jesus. I'm not really experiencing that. And it was really this stuff that um, sort of made Jesus click for me. And uh, I'm not going to be giving you just like a list of things to do or, hey, here's how you handle stress or here's what you should do with your schedule. I'm not going to be very practical. Um, really what I'm going to be saying is this. I think withstanding pressure requires a shift in perspective. I think withstanding pressure requires a shift in perspective. Uh, the reality is you are going to be in a world that is going to pressure you. You are going to have the world pressure you to do the things that they're doing. You're going to have probably parents pressure you to succeed in a career. Um, you're probably going to feel family pressures. You're probably going to feel pressures from bosses. You're, we're all going to experience pressure. Um, I think the guys who just can love Jesus and follow him and give their lives to him in the midst of pressure don't necessarily take pressure off. They just have a different perspective on that. Um, they have a different perspective on um, the pressure that they're experiencing. And so I think this is what we need to think through. So um, I'm going to talk a little bit about where I think this pressure is coming from, um, and that will kind of help us understand how we actually deal with this in a spiritual way. Um, the question that a lot of guys will ask me is, uh, how do I fit God into my busy schedule? Like, where do I put him? How do I get him in there somewhere? And I don't think that's a good question. I really don't think that's a good question. Um, I think uh, the question's got to go far deeper than that. I think um, a more helpful question is, 
what is it about our hearts that seem to get so squished by the world? Like, what is it about our thinking? What is it about our faith that is allowing the world to sort of like wring us dry of any sense of hope in Jesus or any confidence in him or any feeling of security in him? Um, I think this goes heart level. And a uh, sort of paradigm that has been really, really helpful for me as I think through this personally, as, as, as I'm talking with guys, um, it comes out of Fuller Youth Institute. And what Fuller Youth Institute says is that um, there are three questions every young person is asking. There are three deep, like core level, heart level questions that all young guys are asking. And this is what they say they are. They say, one is, who am I or what is my identity? What makes me me? What makes me interesting? Well, like, what am I? Um, where do I belong is the second one. Where do I fit? Like, is there a community I can give myself to? Do I, my opinions matter? Do I influence people? Or are there people who really care about me? Am I loved? Am I accepted? Um, this is what all young people are, are asking, young guys are asking. And then finally, what is my purpose? Do my choices matter? Uh, is my life actually going to make a difference? Is there anything about me that's actually going to influence the world? Is there any way I can actually do something that matters? And so these are the deep burning questions. And I think all three of these are motivated by some core fear. There's some core fear at, at buried beneath this. And all of our choices are pretty much motivated by these three core fears that are behind these questions. And so I think first one is, what if I'm a failure? What if I'm a failure? This is a core fear every guy I think deep down has. It's like, what if I'm a loser? What if, what, if my li- what if I'm just a nothing and my life completely falls apart and I fail? I think deep down we're all trying to sort of prove to ourselves or make sure this does not become true of us. Um, next, what if I'm a loner? What if I don't find a place to belong? What if I don't have a community? What if I'm not loved? What if I'm not liked? What if I'm not interesting to people? And then finally, what if I don't make an impact? You know, what if my life doesn't actually go anywhere? What if my life doesn't actually produce anything? And so uh, the problem is, and I think the reason guys um, are experiencing so much pressure and why we're seeing a rise in things like anxiety and panic attacks and stress and over busyness and all that, I think it is all a product of us trying to answer these questions primarily through the lens of how the world tries to answer these questions. Um, We are looking to figure out what is my identity where do I belong and what's my purpose through the total like um, logic of the world, the lens of the world, how the world thinks about it. And so we kind of jump into the world's game and we jump on the treadmill of how the world thinks about these. And I think this is where guys get exhausted and frustrated and insecure and scared and um, the pressure just sort of becomes a bit too much. Um, and so I can totally, like, this was completely me in high school. Like, in high school, I was the quietest kid in the class. I was terrified that I was uninteresting. Um, I didn't feel like I was, like, super smart. I was a guy who, like, got good grades but had to work really hard. I was never the guy who was like, I didn't study for this that I aced. I was always the guy who was like, haha, I studied a lot for it and I got a 94 or whatever. Like, that was always me. Um, I was not super great at sports. I got cut from the basketball team freshman year of high school, um, which was, like, soul-crushing because it was like I was going to be a basketball guy. That was going to be me. And then it was taken away, and I was like, I have no identity anymore. So then I worked really hard in cross-country, and I was like, i got to become cross-country captain. i got to do it. And I eventually did become cross-country captain. I just look back on that, and I say, man, no one, no one cares anymore that I was cross-country captain. That didn't even really amount to anything. But in my mind, in order for me to have some kind of identity, I had to fight for it. And so if you try to figure these things out through the lens of the world, um, you'll have to work really hard, and you'll have to fight, and you'll have to compete, and you'll have to put in effort. 
and um, you'll probably give up on Christian morals, like like peer pressure, you know, what people want. If you're going to be liked by this world, you're going to have to not follow Jesus. You're going to have to give up on what scripture tells us. And so I think this is why guys are mainly struggling and why they feel like their face getting sucked dry as they go to high school every day or go to college or start a new job in your 20s, whatever it is. And I think we're trying to solve these answers through the lens of the world. And the good news is, is that um, God has amazing answers for these questions. God has wonderful answers for these questions. Answers that are meant to give us hope and peace and security and joy. And they are meant to help us withstand the pressures of the world. Uh, Because when we, rather than looking through the lens of how the world sees us, we look through the lens of how God sees us. Um, It gives us uh, a sense of release from the world's games. Or a sense of, um, I don't need to compete the way the world competes. It's not life or death if I get straight A's. It's not life or death if I get a girlfriend. It's not life or death if I get into a good college or become captain of the football team, whatever it is. God gives us amazing answers. And I'm not telling you you're not going to have pressures or you're not going to do things um, that are worldly. And I'm not saying the world doesn't have answers to these questions. You can find identity, belonging, and purpose in things of this world. But if um, God becomes your main lens through scripture and through your spirit and through what the Lord says about you, if that becomes your main lens for how you view these, um, this is where I felt like the pressure release valve in my heart. Like I was like, oh, I don't have to act a certain way. I don't have to perform for people. I don't have to be the smartest anymore. I don't have to be the most athletic. I don't have to be the most liked. It's okay. Like I've got it covered. So I'm just going to go through each of these and um, give a little bit of uh, here's what the world tells you, and, and if you're sort of trapped in the way the world thinks about these things, you might be experiencing some of this, and um, what the shift will look like. Okay, what the shift will look like. So, I know my slides don't look very nice, but this is it. Um, so, if you want to fill in the table, or if you want to email me, and I can send you these slides, you can go ahead and do that. But, um, how does the world determine our identity? Let's start with identity. That's the first one here. Um, how do you sort of find your identity according to the world? Yeah. Career. Okay, career is a big one. Uh-huh. Yep, who you are is wrapped up in, in what you do. Which, what's the problem with that? If your whole identity is wrapped up in your job, what's the problem? Or what issues are you going to bump into? If you get fired? Yeah, what if you get fired? <laughs> it's over. Your identity just crumbled right in front of you. Or you're you terrified. Mm-hmm. So, this is why you become a workaholic. This is why you become a guy who manipulates others at your job. This is why you hope other people fail and you succeed, right? This, this becomes an ugly heart game. Constantly, if your whole identity is wrapped up in your job, yeah. Um, I have grades and winning. Um, I maybe had younger guys in in mind here, but this is pretty much what your worth is is found in if you are a teen or college student. Um, And I think in your 20s, it becomes more the career. Like, am I I doing better than my friends? Yeah, everyone's like, what kind of job are you working? Um, So it becomes a climb, the social ladder, or the corporate ladder. Um, But this is pretty much what young people think everything is wrapped up in. It's like, what's my GPA and am I winning at things? Is my sports team winning or did I win? Did I do better than other people? And so, I mean, what's the problem with finding your identity in grades or winning? What's what's the problem with finding who you are in those? (coughs) Your eyes would not hit the mark. Right, yeah. What happens when you don't hit the mark, right? What happens if you do hit the mark on both of these? You have straight A's, and you get four varsity letters, and you get into Georgetown or something, I don't know. Like, what? then what happens in your heart? Yes! Right. Oh. 
Okay. <laughs> so yeah, there's maybe a little bit of it promises something that doesn't really doesn't really fulfill, right? Guys feel like they gotta get more and more and more. Am I struck by that Tom Brady interview where he's like, yeah, I'm. I think there's gotta be something bigger out there. There's gotta be something more, and he's completely successful and has sort of all we think you could want to be happy, and he's not even happy. Um, yeah, they, or it produces massive pride. This is when guys become extremely arrogant and say, look at me, I'm the best. I have succeeded in all these things that I've sought out to succeed in. Um, so yeah, the world says, find your identity, grades, winning, career, success, that kind of thing. Um, the implication here is that you've got to work hard. You've got to work hard. If you're going to find your identity, if you're going to find who you really are, you've got to work hard. And um, this is exhausting. This is completely, this, is, this will kill you. This will end you. This will ruin your marriage. This will ruin your health. This will ruin everything if you are caught up in, I've got to work harder and harder, put in longer and longer hours. Um, and, but that's the problem with guys if that's, that's where their value is found, if that's where it is. Um, this produces stress, anxiety, worry, shame, pride, insecurity, feeling like um, I have to keep up or else uh, I'm, I'm a nothing. There's, no, there's nothing to me. Um, and then the resulting actions here, things like, and I've kind of touched on these a little bit, um, things like overworking, filling up your schedule, being a perfectionist, taking like every AP class. Apparently AP classes now are going younger and younger for guys in high school. Um, hoping others fail, blaming others on your failure, right? If I'm like left late for work and then the person in front of me is only driving like six over the speed limit <laughs> rather than 10, it's like their fault that I'm late, right? Like it's so easy to want to blame other people for um, you when, when you fail, it's so easy to blame others. Um, so do we see how finding your identity through the world is, is not the best approach? does not create a healthy heart, healthy emotions. Um, it's not a person who can handle stress well. It doesn't, it doesn't manage their schedule very well. Um, and I just think God is such a better answer. Such a, in, in Christ, there's such a better way. Um, how is our identity determined in Jesus? In Christ, how is our identity determined? I know some of you know, and you're just not saying. Someone say it who knows. <laughs> how's that, how, how do we discover who we are? Where's our identity founded in? Huh? Through prayer. Through prayer. Okay, maybe that's part of it, being a person of prayer. Um, who are we in God's eyes? We just are who we are. Yeah, I mean, so we are who we are, but then God sent Jesus. Right? Like, in, in God's eyes, we were made in his image, but we're also sinful and fallen. And so our identity in front of God was um, an object of wrath. But then God sent Jesus to become an object of wrath in our place. And so in Christ, um, the spiritual lingo is justification by grace through faith. So this is made right, like stamped clean. It is finished. You're good to go. You're my child. You're, you're covered. Um, and this is... Um, through faith, and this is uh, by by grace. Like um, grace is is a gift that you do not deserve. You know, if I were to steal everything from you, and then you were to give me your iPhone after all of that, so that would be grace. It's like a gift that's it's insane. <laughs> it's a gift that's odd. Like none of us show grace to each other. None of us really show grace. Not the kind of grace God is talking about. And so grace was this undeserved gift of Jesus dying for us and washing us clean. So that um, the kinds of words scripture uses about you, if you've put your trust in Jesus, is you're a priest. Um, you have access to God. You're a saint. You're, you're covered and can do the work of God. Um, you are redeemed. You're a son. You're a child of God. We're going to look at more of these as we go, because these all do kind of intertwine. But um, 
the implication here is, is not that you must work hard to find your identity. It's that Jesus worked hard for you to find your identity in him. It's like Jesus did all the work for you to be who you are, which is a redeemed son of the Most High King. Jesus did the work on the cross. He did it for you on your behalf. We do not have a works-based faith. It is grace-based. And so all we do is come to Jesus, a broken mess, and say, I need you to fix my life. And we put our trust in him. We repent and put our faith in him. And then we are totally his child. And we are totally protected. We are totally secure. We are loved. He's interested in us. He loves us. He is with us. He gives us work to do. And this is not something that you can lose. This is not something that you can unearn. You didn't earn it in the first place. So you cannot unearn it. And so you can have peace. I think that's the resulting emotion. Joy, peace, happiness, contentment. I don't got to work to prove anything um, to the Lord anymore. And so while in this world you might feel like I got to work to earn others' approval, when you know what God thinks about you, and ultimately he's the one who matters, his opinion of us is the one that's going to last for eternity, um, this world is just, it's a vapor that's evaporating immediately, and then what really matters is what God says about you. And God looks at his children and says, you are mine. You are covered. You are redeemed. And redeemed is like bought back. It's like um, the ransom has been paid. You know, you are, you are mine. I, I have earned you. Um, the result in action. So what's the result of this, you think? The result of knowing who you are in Christ. How does this result? If this leads to overworking and filling up schedule and trying harder and harder, what does this lead to? Knowing who we are. Any thoughts? Well, does it does it lead to having to work harder? No. Does it lead to having to be stressed or anxious about what God thinks about us? No. All right. It's all the opposite, right? So ability to rest. Um, I think a, d- a deep desire to know God more. It's like, if this is the God who bought me at a price, this is the God who sent Jesus to die for me, I want to get to know him. Um, this is contentment when you fail, like when you mess something up. Like, you can still be confident in who you are. It's like, okay, I messed up this exam. I'm a child of God. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like, in the end of all things, I do this all the time in my brain. I'm like, okay, I'm frustrated about a thing I messed up. All right, how long is this consequence for this thing really going to last? Not super long in the whole scheme of things. And the whole scheme of things, I'm covered. I'm good to go. And so, yeah, I think a confidence in yourself, not because you've done anything amazing or special, uh, but because God has done all the work on your behalf. Um, and so when this clicked for me, this just this changed Christianity from like a list of things I got to do to just a new lifestyle, like a new air I breathe and a new way I thought constantly. Every interaction and, and all, I realized all the ways I was trying to impress people and all the ways I was working to succeed. And um, it's not like I don't want to, you know, improve my job. It's not like I don't want people to like me or I want to cause people to dislike me or anything like that. But when it's not the main um, striving of my heart, it becomes um, a lesser thing, and I can have rest in all this. So this is your identity. Some scripture identity, if you just wanted to write down the references, you have them. Um, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This is very essential 
scripture on what the gospel is. This is the good news of Jesus, that it is uh, by grace, it is not by works. It is not by works. You, If you are a believer in here, you did not turn your life around because you were special or you sort of finally got to the point where God was like, yeah, I can handle that amount of sin. Like, you sort of clean yourself up enough and I can sort of handle it. No, like, we were completely 100% opposed to God. We were far away from him and his love and kindness turned us around. And so, um, if we know that our status as a child started not by us working for him, um, we don't have to constantly try to make him approve of us. I think this was something that... um, I've wrestled with my whole life. I'm still wrestling with just feeling like God is disappointed in me when I fail. God is really let down when I've done something wrong. And this is not who God is. This is not how he looks at you. Like if you picture God, if you've messed up and you picture God and he's like hanging his head and looking disappointed in you, you, you don't have the gospel right. You don't have the gospel right in your, in your heart. He sees you and he's smiling. He's beaming at you. He's so excited about you. Why? Because you are washed clean. You're made pure. He sees Jesus when he looks at you. And you did not earn that at all. You did not earn that in the slightest. Um, and so I think genuinely being gospel-centered and rooted creates uh, people of gratitude who joyfully go out loving Jesus and serving him. Um, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Um, you're a new person. And um, Jesus uses with Nicodemus in John 3 the, the phrase being born again. Being born again. And I think this is really helpful. I know people say like a, a born again Christian. And maybe that's not a phrase we use as much anymore. But it's been a common phrase among like evangelical churches. Um, and I like the analogy because um, did you do anything to help yourself get born? Like physically born? Did you contribute to that in any way? No, you made it way worse. <laughs> you fought against it. You made, it, you made your mom miserable when she was birthing you, okay? You were not at all contributing to you being born. And this is the exact thing Jesus needs Nicodemus to understand in that chapter. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. For him, it's like, he, it's, it's kinda, he's kind of like a church kid who grew up sort of thinking like, yeah, I've kind of earned this. God loves me because I've like done so many camps and done so much stuff. That is a works-based thinking, and it puts us on, rather than a treadmill with the world of trying to earn approval, puts it on us with God, or puts us on the treadmill with God. Um, and that is not the Christian life. That is not what he is inviting us into. He's inviting us into rest in him, um, have the burden of the law lifted off of our shoulders. Um, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, that word again, justified, like, like marked off, made, made right, um, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And internal peace, like deep peace, I think is like a very real thing. Um, peace with God is a, a very real thing that he is inviting you to experience. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm going to keep moving on here just for the sake of time. So um, this is our identity. Um, next is our belonging. Next is our belonging. How does the world determine your belonging? Like where you fit? Um, what are kind of some of the, the world's rules around belonging, you think? Your house, your car. Okay. House, car, right? If you're impressive. Huh? House, car, job. Uh-huh, yep. Those big ones. What else? Conforming. Yeah, conforming, right? Do you fit in? Do you do what we do? Do you like what we like? Yeah. Any others? Yeah, I mean, I think it's approval of others, right? It's approval of others. It's I got to get people to like me. Um, I got to get people to uh, um, think I'm something special or worthwhile. 
Now, what is the problem with that? If you are trying to find belonging purely by seeking approval of others, what's going to happen is you must work very hard to make others like me. I better make people like me. And, and so this is why I think guys work so hard um, to be impressive. Um, this can look like dressing a certain way or um, doing certain things that you think will get you to, to be more well-liked, whatever it might be. I think social media plays into this massively, right? We get a good dopamine hit. Anyone else likes our thing or follows us or DMs us or whatever. Like This is all built into this mentality of I got to get people to like me. And I think the resulting emotions is a lot of fear of rejection, like all the time. <laughs> I think, and I talk to guys in their twenties. I'm like, dude, you you just constantly fear others rejecting you. It's just 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 so obvious, and this pervades our hearts so deeply. This is like deep heart level work that we got to do, and that, that we need to let the Lord do. Um, just constantly worrying about others, think about you. This was definitely me, and I mean, still is me in a lot of ways. But um, I was just like absolutely crippled by. What if other people don't like me? What if people make fun of me or I embarrass myself or something? So I was like so shy. I was like, well, if no one notices me, then they can't dislike me, right? <laughs> At least I'll be kind of neutral. Um, and so a lot of worrying about what other people think. And I think what this can result in is giving into peer pressure, abandoning Christian values, um, working super hard to fit in, super sensitive to criticism. Um, just like if someone criticizes you, it's just like your day is over. We've probably all had that experience where like someone says something to us and it's just like, the day is done. Like the day has been ruined. They said a thing that hurt, that, that struck a chord, and the day is over. Um, the thing I've told by the high schoolers often is that um, the reason so many um, young people who grow up in the church go to a secular university and start partying almost immediately is, does, has nothing to do with them wanting to get drunk. Almost nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with belonging. Because you leave your family, you leave everyone you know, and you go off, and you are in your dorm room the first night, and everyone goes out and parties the first night. And you say, I'm not going to go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay strong. I'm gonna, I know I'm not supposed to. My youth pastor told me this for years not to do this. And everyone leaves, and then it's like the longest night of your life. <laughs> and you're sitting there just being like, I'm going to make no friends. I'm never going to belong here. No one's going to like me. I'm going to be lonely. I'm gonna, this is terrible. And so then the next night, or when the next weekend rolls around, you go out. And you say, well, I'm, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to take anything. I'm just going to be there. And if you've ever been to a college party, you know that's almost impossible. It's almost impossible to be at a college party and not just have stuff sort of handed to you. And it's like, do this, take this, ingest that, whatever it would be. Um, and so you go, and then you just sort of give in, and then you just kind of start the party lifestyle, because like, well, everyone else is doing this. I think pretty much every believer I know who partied in college, which is like most believers that I know who went to a non-Christian school, or a Christian school for that matter, um, it was, yeah, that's it's what everyone was doing. I was terrified of being alone, and so I just went along with it. And so if your entire belonging is wrapped up in others approving of you, um, you're probably not going to stand up for Jesus. Um, you're probably not going to actually live for the ethic he has for you or the lifestyle he has for you. And Jesus even tells us, like, the world hated me first, it's going to hate you. The world hated me first, it's, it's not going to like what you have to say, it's not going to like what you live for, you're going to feel like you are against the grain. Um, so we got to find our belonging in a better way. I, again, I think this is exhausting, this is tiring, this creates pressure that will squeeze us to death, as if i got to make people like me. Um, it's exhausting. We spend so much time thinking about what other people think about us, right? We spend so much time thinking about this. Um, 
Where do, how is blind you determined in God's mind? Well, it's those who trust in Jesus are his child. Those who put their faith in him are his. Um, he loves everyone, and he likes everyone, but for his children, I think there is a special love that he has for his children. The same way a parent has a special love for their children. Um, the belonging that we have to God is um, something that... He is so fiercely in love with us, and he is so passionately for us and with us. Um, And we can know in Christ that we belong to him. We belong to him. We don't got to convince him we're anything special. He made us. He designed us. He knows everything about us. We don't have to convince him to like us. We already have that. Um, The implication here is that you completely belong to God through the work of Jesus. You you can rest and and be at peace in who you are. the resulting emotion is going to be feeling, feeling fully accepted by God, I think primarily, and then secondarily, um, enjoying church community. Um, what is supposed to be, meant to be, so special about the church is that it is supposed to be the place where Christians love each other, and the world knows we're Christians by our love for one another. And so I know I've experienced people in the church who I wouldn't normally click with or naturally click with or naturally like, but because we have this shared bond of Jesus, um, great friendships can form. And the church is meant to be a place where everyone can belong, um, where all believers can come together and truly love and embrace each other. And it shouldn't feel like we're playing the social games of the world. And again, I tell my youth group this all the time. Like, youth group should not be the place where we're playing this like social hierarchy thing, like you're in and you're out. Like, there's none of that. There's none of that in the family of God. That does not exist. That is, there's no place for that here. Um, you're not going to be best friends with every single person who comes to your church, but um, there is meant to be an atmosphere of love and um, accepting of one another because of who we are in Christ. Um, I think the resulting actions is that we're in the world, but not of it. Uh, we stand up for Christ. We, we do not give into peer pressure. Um, I think even seeking and accepting criticism is a very biblical concept. If you read the book of Proverbs, this is basically the book of Proverbs. Like a foolish person rejects rebuke, but a wise person seeks counsel. And so you can say, okay, I want to know like, what I need to grow in. I want to know um, what needs to change about my heart. Um, prideful or insecure people just rail against any kind of criticism or any kind of like, hey, you need to get better at this thing. Um, and probably the best thing a Christian can do, a Christian who is truly secure in who they are in Jesus can embrace criticism, can embrace rebuke, can um, have someone call them out in some kind of sin struggle and say, okay, this is good. Thank you for telling me. I needed to know this. Like, I'm not worried anymore. I'm not worried about not belonging to this community anymore because I know my belonging here did not begin by me being fantastic in the first place. Um, it wasn't like I became not a sinner and then came to church. It was Jesus saved me. Um, and so, you know, find your belonging and who God is this this completely releases, again, releases that pressure valve of, like, got to make everyone like me, got to make everyone like me. And now it does not matter so much how many people follow you or like your stuff or if, if you're the most popular guy in your church or you're the best-dressed person or you have, you know, you got girls all over you, whatever it is. Like, it just doesn't become the main way you're figuring out your belonging. You know you have belonging, and so you are free to just really love and serve others. You're free to really love and serve others and not make things about you, not make things about how am I being perceived, um, am I being puffed up, um, am I being noticed? Paul gives us a totally new ethic in Philippians where he says we, we count others more valuable than ourselves. This is, this is what gospel freedom brings. This is what belonging in Christ gives us, the ability to serve others and say, I, you know what, I don't need to be recognized all the time. Like, I know who I am. I know I belong to Jesus, so I'm going to honor others. I'm going to put others up. Humility, this is at its core where, where humility grows. Um, so 
Paul actually talks about this. I'm actually not going to go through this, but in Philippians 3, there's another fantastic chapter to read if you're not familiar with it. This is where Paul says, like, look, I, I can play the world's game and say I'm all these great things. Like, I'm super fancy. Um, and he's talking to, like, Jewish people who um, would have valued him being a Pharisee or him being from a certain tribe or t- all these things. And he's like, look, I, I've given all that stuff up, man. I've, I've just put it aside in order to gain Jesus. <laughs> I've given up the social competition. I'm just not even about it anymore. Like, I don't care. It's all garbage. Like, it's, it's nothing compared to gaining Jesus. pretty much what Paul says in Philippians 3. So Paul says the, the treadmill of making people like him. He's like, I'm just, I'm just done. I'm, I'm over that game. It, it produced no joy in me. It, it gave me nothing. It's not worthwhile. I'm going to simply run after Jesus and embrace him. Um, Peter gives in 1 Peter 2, again, another amazing chapter, gives a whole bunch of thoughts on who you really are. Um, you are a chosen people. Okay, You are chosen by God. The doctrine of being chosen or elected or predestined, whatever people love to debate that all day long. What Paul's trying to get us and what Peter here is trying to get us to understand is that you were chosen. Like, Have confidence. God picked you out. He doesn't, God does not make bad choices. Okay, God does not second guess his choices. God does not think, I probably, okay. I thought you were going to be a good choice, but you're kind of messing up right now. So maybe not. No, God does not do that. He chose you, and he's all for it. He's all for you. Um, you are a royal priesthood. Okay, this is why the doctrine of like priesthood of all believers means that just because I'm a pastor does not mean I'm more godly than you. Does not mean I have more brownie points with the Lord. We are all priests in the sense we all have a certain status. We all have equal status of being like top-tier status in God's eyes, spiritually speaking. Um, we're a holy nation. Holy is like being set apart, different from the world. Um, we're God's special possession. Um, God's special possession. What do we do with possessions that we find to be special? Okay, I mean, maybe our most special possession is this thing. Um, does anyone not put a case on their phone? Anyone here not put a case on their phone? Okay, so we all do. Why do we put a case on our phone? Why? Because we love this thing. And we do not want anything to damage it. We do not want anything to, to go wrong with it. We want to keep it. It is our special possession. Um, this is how God thinks about you. He doesn't like forget about you or kind of toss you aside. He's like, okay, I've got him. I love him. I want to make sure he's okay. I'm going to like protect him. I'm going to care about him. You think about the things you care about most. That is like what God sees you as. You're a special possession. Um, we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. So we are his. And nothing can take that away. Um, let's get that. Let's get that. I'm going to skip that. So this is our belonging. Final purpose. Purpose. Um, finally, purpose. Um, this is similar to, I think all three of these are very intertwined. Um, these all really relate, but um, purpose, how the world determines purpose, I think in some similar ways. Status, wealth, success, uh, fame, I think in a certain way, like how much recognition can you get? Um, you know, how, how many followers can you have? Like this is sort of what our purpose is wrapped up in. And um, there's a feeling among young people, I think teens and 20s, it's like, I got to make it in life. You know, like some people make it and some people don't. And I got to be someone who makes it. And so this is why like grades are so much more than just a, a, a letter that you're getting on a report card. It, it represents like your whole future potential. It represents like everything you might be able to do and everything you might not be able to do. Because it's all wrapped up in getting to the college, which is going to project your whole career. And so this is why there's so much stress around um, the grades and stuff like that, because it's just like, this represents whether you are going to go somewhere in life or not. Um, there's so much fear for our future. I think this is a resulting emotion, fear. Fear is, it's always in something in, in our future that might happen. 
Right? That's what fear is based in. It's like this thing could happen. And we spend nights you know, mulling over all the things that could go wrong in our lives and we, we feel immense fear. And so we look forward to our lives and say, am I going to be someone? Am I going to make a difference? Is my life actually going to matter? Um, I think this can go a couple of ways for guys. I think this can go into like crazy overworking, but I think for some guys this turns into like total apathy, like I'm just going to play games all day. Why would I even bother? I know a lot of young guys just feel like the world's not getting better. Like, what's the point? You know, because you guys were told, go to college, and it's going to be great, but you're now seeing kind of your parents' age, or maybe a little younger than your parents' age. Um, the four-year university thing did not produce the job they were hoping for, and they got a ton of debt, and cost of college is skyrocketing. So there's kind of people, I think young people are just throwing up their hands nowadays, just being like, why would I play this game? It doesn't actually work. I'm so skeptical that this, like, the stuff you would alter tell me to do is actually going to go somewhere for me. So um, they're saying now, Gen Z, kids and teens are, they're way more careful with money, they're way more pragmatic, they're way less optimistic, like there's just so much pessimism because like the world is so ugly, uh, like it's, we're going to burn soon anyway, so what's the point? So I, I've seen that a lot for young people, like I'm just, I just give up, man, I don't know what my life's supposed to be about. Um, and I think spiritually there's kind of figuring out your life calling, I got to figure out my life calling. Like, what an anxious, stressful thing to try to figure out. <laughs> you know, we kind of think that there's, like, this secret path that God has for us somewhere, and we're, like, searching for it. And we better find it. And if you don't find it, you're going to miss out on God's plan for you. And that is in zero parts of Scripture. That is nowhere in the Bible. That is nowhere how God wants to think about our lives. Um, we, uh, we more so just live godly lives, but there's a whole range of choices we can make about what kind of job you do or, or um, what you focus on in life. There's all kinds of choices that you can make. Um, but we're not like trying to figure out my life's calling. Um, so how is the purpose determined in God's eyes? I think there's a number of ways to answer this. I've always just said, I think it's mainly the Great Commission and the Great Commandments. Okay, does anyone know what the Great Commission is? Yeah, going into all the world. This is from Matthew 28. I should have had it up here, but this is going into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Um, the great commandment is love God and love others. Jesus says sort of all the law and the prophets hang on these two things. And so um, this is really our purpose, right? So this is really what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love God. We're supposed to love people and make disciples. I think this is the primary purpose God has for you. And this doesn't mean you're not going to find life purposes or do work on this earth. And work on this earth is good, and God has good reasons for it. Um, but in a spiritual kind of larger sense, this is really what we're meant to do. And as we go into our jobs or school or universities, um, we're thinking, how can I love others? How can I love the Lord? And how can I make disciples? I think this gives us a sense of mission. Um, satisfaction in God's work when you join God in his work um, it is Holy Spirit empowered and so um, you, it is not up to you whether it passes or fails or whether it goes wrong or, or not like we win in the end I don't know if you read the end of the Bible but it all goes pretty well in the end like Jesus wins he's victorious his kingdom is established and so you get to join in his work and you are on a mission you know will be successful it's not like Starting up a company that like might fail or probably will fail, or planting a church that probably won't fit, probably won't last, or whatever. It's like we're joining something that we know is going to be successful. So there's a great sense of joy in it and a great sense of purpose. Um, spending time on things that has eternal impact, you know, lots of prayer, relying on the Holy Spirit, sharing faith, dreaming big for God. This is the result of um, shifting our perspective. Shifting our perspective. So again. 
Find your purpose. It means the world. You're gonna, it's going to press you to the point of feeling like you're sort of crushed. Your spirit is crushed. Your faith is crushed. Um, through the lens of the Lord and his work, uh, you will find purpose belonging, or you will find purpose meaning um, satisfaction in a grander picture, a work that is going to have an eternal impact. It's not like you're striving for something that you know is not really going to last very long. Um, it is striving for a kingdom that is eternal, like never ending the work that you do. If you bring a friend to faith, and uh, you know, maybe you bring a friend to church, and he eventually says yes to Jesus. That friend will be with you eternally. That is an eternal impact. And so our work becomes so much grander when we see it through the lens of the Lord. Like our purpose is what God has given us to do. Um, it's so much bigger. It's, it's so much more awesome. And it, you know, it's cool to get a good job and to do good things in this world and and bless others physically. But um, bringing others into the kingdom with us is like. Um, to me, the most joyful thing that I think you can do, right, is making disciples and raising people up to love the Lord and join you. Um, let me skip this, let's skip this, skip this, right, because I only have like two minutes, right? Um, withstanding pressure requires a, pers- a shift in perspective. Um, let me just give a couple closing thoughts. Yeah, maintain a good theology of who you are and who you are not. If you wrote down some passages, go through that. Read the book of Ephesians. Read the book of Philippians. Um, remind yourself continually like how God sees you and what he thinks about you. I think that is the only way to handle this crazy life. The world's not going to get more stable or more fair or, or care about your feelings. Like It is a dark, cold, sad world. And I think the only way to like stay in it joyfully is to remind yourself constantly. And I have to, I have to do this all all the time. Um, it's like constantly remind myself of who you are. Um, next is follow your fears. This is, I don't know if it's a lot of time to talk about this, but this is something I do constantly. Like if I, let's say I get criticized by my boss or something, and I feel embarrassed by that or I feel frustrated. Um, that to me is a sign I got to do some heart level work. And so I try and follow what, what is the thing that I'm really afraid of? Like what's the core heart level thing that I'm afraid of that this emotion is causing a reaction in? And I'll follow it and realize like, okay, the thing I'm afraid of is that I'm unacceptable or that I'm not a good employee or that, you know, I'm a loser or whatever. And once I follow that fear, I can then speak gospel truth to and say, well, who am I actually? I'm not a loser. I'm a total winner in Christ. I, I it's, am totally redeemed, right? And so um, this is the thing I, I, I tell people to do this all the time. Like, follow your fears, follow your fears. When I talk to 20-something, they're super stressed about working. Like, okay, what's, what's the thing? There's something deep underneath here. You're not just stressed. Like, there's something deep here in your heart that is causing you to feel this, like, unease. And so what is it? And then finally, just pray a lot. Pray a lot. The Lord wants to answer prayers. He wants to listen to you. He wants to know you. And so just bring your request to God um, very regularly. So that's pretty much it. Any questions? I don't know if we really have time for questions. Not really. So um, thanks for being here, guys. Let me just close in prayer very quickly. Um, Lord, I just thank you for um, these guys here, and, and I pray that um, you would help us all to um, just do the hard work of figuring out kind of what's going on. Um, why do we experience so much pressure, and why does this pressure feel like it's sort of crushing us? Lord, I pray that we can shift our perspective to... Um, knowing you better, knowing who we are in you, Lord, and that that would bring great freedom. Um, Lord, we love you in your name. Amen. So quick announcement before we go. There was a there was a talk in here on sexual purity um, that the guy sort of dropped out, and I said, well, I can talk about that, but it's it's not in your things. I try to, it's online. I try to put up a sign, but if you want to come back here and talk about overcoming sexual sin, um, you can do that. So if it's really for if you're struggling, or if you're like not trying to help a friend. I know that was me for a long time. I was like, I don't know what to say to guys who are struggling with this. 
Um, I, I haven't really, like, I had parents who did not talk to me about this, right? So I didn't really know what to do. So it's kind of for that. So I just want you guys to know if that's happening. So, okay, that was good. Thanks, guys. listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you have a podcast idea or a question you'd like answered on the podcast, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a more substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways we have to reach new listeners. Until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.